Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm wearing half a black armband, Kevin, uh, having lost uh, Moises Caicedo, <laughs> and I am also have half of a shit grin uh, because of the sale of Moises Caicedo for a British record fee. I, I, I never thought in, my, in all of my days that Brighton would... Be anywhere connected with such a with such a, a sentence. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money for a defensive midfield player, isn't it, Karen? I'm, I'm still trying to work out how you wear half an armband. It's quite a good <laughs> trick if you can pull that one off. Um, we are recording this, Karen. I think we should say full disclosure uh, just before the Australia England game in the semi-finals of the Women's World Cup, which is why we're not mentioning the outcome. But just to deal with that, uh, our listeners can delete as appropriate. Uh, well done, England. Um, well done, Australia. Uh, a seven-all draw and a dog on the pitch. Who would have thought that would happen? <laughs> uh, it's Newsday, Kira. We're back. Uh, we're back in our full routine, hopefully. Um, they're not, not actually not not meant not many news stories, Kieran, but they are biggies. They're big, they big are. news stories. <laughs> yes. Um, the first one, Kieran, <laughs> and I suspect we're going to be talking about this for. the the next two years. Neymar is the latest big name to go to Saudi Arabia. A lot of people, Kieran, a lot of people have asked us to explain exactly what's going on with the Saudi Pro League. So can I ask you a couple of questions about... about uh, First of all, where's the money coming from, people are asking. I think it's fairly obvious where the money's coming from, Kieran, but I'd like like your take on it. Yes, as far as the Saudi Pro League is concerned, uh, four of the clubs there are now have effectively been nationalised and are controlled by the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which I think people are more familiar with uh, as being the new owners of Newcastle United. Um, and they've been there now for coming on for two years. Um, the other clubs in the Saudi Pro League have effectively been given grants stroke subsidies in order to be competitive in the transfer market and to prevent the Saudi Pro League being dominated by just one or two clubs. Because uh, one of the things we like about football is the the concept of, of jeopardy and uncertainty. Uh, and, it, and one of the things which is good about the Premier League is that you go into a set of weekend fixtures. Yes, you know that some clubs are more likely to win fixtures than others, but you know, Palace have got some fantastic results in recent years. Brighton have done, you know, turned over some of the bigger teams as well. The fact on the opening day of the season a couple of years ago, Brentford turned over Arsenal and so on. So I think what we will have seen is an, un, an unlimited amount of money is available to the clubs in the Saudi Pro League. And there is no equivalent of financial fair play. So we are in an equivalent position to where we were in the Premier League in 2003, where Abramovich came in and just blew the transfer market and blew the wage market, which which allowed Chelsea to go from being a club which hadn't won the title for, for a period of 50 years into, into one which was instantly competitive. Um, and the same happened with regards to Manchester City when they were acquired by UAE in, in what 2008, 2009, whenever it was. Um, they, they could spend unlimited amounts and, and they, that's why they, they lost. But they lost £200 million in a single season. And pre-financial fair play, that's what you're allowed to do. So so that's that's where we are as far as the market and the funding is concerned. And... From the the Saudi perspective, they've looked at the interest in the Qatar World Cup. And and how many people talk about Qatari football today? Approximately nobody. Um, And Well, Gianni Infantino, because he lives there. Well, he he does. That's right. Yes, yes. Um, And people complain about his his three million pounds. Pound a year salary, but I think it's very harsh because that's the that's the pre-tax figure, <laughs> and, and the post-tax figure of three million pounds a year isn't discussed. Um, but 
they they are in a position to be very competitive in the market um, because the costs of hosting the, the World Cup was somewhere in the region of $200 billion for Qatar. And it looks as if Saudi the Saudi League is probably going to cost around about $5 billion a year uh, in terms of transfer fees and wages. So it's a fraction of the cost of hosting the World Cup. And you've got, looks like Neymar, um, yeah, we've seen Mares go, Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema. They, they've got some very high-profile players. I think... You know, they, they've taken Jordan Henderson, um, although uh, I, 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 got, I got a call from somebody at, from Pickford's um, who were doing his move. They said, you work, you, you, you work in football. Um, and I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And they go, uh, well, we, we've, uh, we, we're responsible for, for moving Jordan Pickford's uh, possessions to uh, Saudi um, and, and he appears to have left behind a set of rainbow laces have you got a forwarding address <laughs> I go well, well uh, I don't know what to do about that so so they've got yeah they've got unlimited money um, and, and this allows them to be competitive in the market and that, and that means that there is a decision to be made for footballers and, and I'm not I'm, and I'm not going to slag off footballers because we, as we said if we were offered uh, yeah, a million pounds an episode to host the price of football from Riyadh we'd be there yeah, I'd, I'd have, I would have pressed pause right now. <laughs> um, yes, slight Jordan Henderson, Jordan Pickford confusion in that story. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yes, the Jordan Henderson uh, rainbow laces is a story for another pod, isn't it? I mean, Kieran, the, the, the Saudi money <clears throat> isn't isn't going to run out anytime soon. But is this? Do you think this is a a one off spending spree as part of sport washing or whatever you think it is or is this is this going to be a, 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 consist, a consistent theme over the next couple of years as the Saudi authorities try and genuinely improve the level of football in that league I think it's part of a long term strategy uh, Mohammed bin Salman has a 2030 vision which he wants to implement so we're looking at it from a geopolitical point of view Saudi Arabia has a very young population um, it's got a it's got a rapidly growing population, and yeah, this is a football finance show. This isn't a geo. This isn't a politics show. And I'm, I'm not interested in politics, as I think people are fairly aware. But um, Mohammed bin Salman is also aware of what happened in the the Arab Spring. You know, when Libya, Egypt, you know, there there, there was there was dissent often from from young people. So part of the unwritten contract is. I'll deliver you high-class entertainment in the sporting and other, and other world, and I'll keep you happy. And if you're happy, you're not going to dissent. So I think, I think there are broader issues. Uh, Saudi Arabia is also very, very keen to host either the 2030 or more probably the 2034 World Cup. And having a more competitive domestic competition is one way of... Uh, persuading the decision makers at FIFA and, and the way that the World Cup is allocated these days is different to where we were when Qatar was awarded it. That was done by a, a fairly small committee of whom uh, very few of them seem, still seem to be working within FIFA. Um, now it, now it's one country, one vote. So if you can say, well, look, yeah, come, come to Saudi Arabia, we've already got Ronaldo, we've already got Benzema, we've already got Neymar, um, then, then that helps. And you also have to give acknowledgement that Saudi Arabia has qualified for five out of the last seven World Cups. Yeah, they beat Argentina yeah. in the last. Tournament. Yeah. yeah, so, so it's 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 not uh, it's not a, a a footballing wilderness. It it, it does have a, a reasonably strong competition there. Um, so so that's that's where we are. As far as the funding is concerned, it's it's a long term commitment. I, I'm not expecting a U turn as we as we saw in relation to China. Um, and I think sort of the next issue is where do they go next? Um, you know, we've we've sort of seen mutterings from UEFA. That's just yeah. There's, there's no reason why the Champions League final should take place uh, in <laughs> Europe. Um, could we see? The, the community shield take place there is there an opportunity because ultimately money talks for the resurrection of the 39th game remember that that somewhat yeah. uh, lunatic scheme that was 
suggested uh, a few years ago to take the Premier League overseas. And certainly we've seen that in terms of the NFL and other, other US franchise sports. So Saudi Arabia is fully aware of the success that it has had in terms of golf. Uh, with the creation of the, the uh, LIV scheme and, and the fact that effectively the opposition conceded that. Um, what, what's this space, is, is my view. Yeah, uh, boxing as well, a lot of big fights taking part. Um, I do like the idea of somebody with 20-30 vision. That's a that's a proper yes. that's a proper low rent superhero, that isn't it? <laughs> he can see really well out of one eye. Um, two more questions for you, Coon, because this is a subject that we we probably will be exploring again. <clears throat> it, it looks, I mean, with the ridiculous money paid for Caicedo, uh, is it affecting the English transfer market or the European transfer market? Because there is there is a theory. I've heard several people mention the fact that it it might have it may affect clubs like Bournemouth Palace. Fulham more because the the big clubs, the top six clubs, know that if they need to offload players, they can do so to Saudi Arabia for maybe twice as much as they would have been able to do before. And then they've got a lot of extra money to snaffle players from clubs like Palace and Bournemouth. Yes, I, I think to date there have been a lot of winners as a result of the uh, increased budget of Saudi Arabia. And the winners, first of all, from a financial point of view, the players, because you're effectively, you, you can add a zero to your, your pay packet uh, or certainly increase it by a factor of four or five. Um, that's good news for the agents and the, the people doing the introductions. The selling clubs don't have to worry too much about a pushback in terms of the asking prices. So we saw that with you know, St. Maxim at, at Newcastle. Uh, Chelsea have shifted a couple of players. I think by the, we might be seeing Laporte go from Manchester City and they've already sold Mahrez uh, to, to Saudi. So so the players uh, and the selling clubs, and they tend to be the biggest clubs. Yeah, we, we, yeah in fact, we, we've already named Chelsea, Manchester City, Liverpool with Henderson and Fabinho, uh, Newcastle, who I think have to be con- thrown into the mix because... I think they've got some sort of connection with Saudi Arabia themselves. I believe so. Um, I, believe I believe they're awake. It is similar. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, or, or you throw all of that into the mix, and those clubs now could could a Saudi Arabia club get in contact with Palace and say we want to buy one of your players? Yes, it could. Um, it's it's a case of setting up those connections, and, and I think the bigger clubs have already established those lines of communication and I think there's also a sort of there's I wouldn't say it's chaos but I think there's there doesn't appear to be a structure in terms of player recruitment is that we want high profile players and, and the high profile players tend to play for the, the clubs with with the biggest name you know, hence Neymar Ronaldo Benzema and so on and finally Kim there are people who would say around the world <coughs> excuse me that global football is is kind of very Eurocentric, you know, it tends to be European leagues that get the biggest broadcasting figures around the world, and so on. And there are people who say, "Well, European clubs are now getting a taste of what they've been doing to the rest of the world for the last twenty years." In in other words, you know, buying the best players from all over the rest of the world and taking them to Europe, and now it's happening to them, and they're very unhappy about it. Is there an element of truth in that? There is an element of truth, and you and I. Um a gentleman of a certain age, we, we can we can remember when it was initially Italian clubs yeah. that were taking yeah. you know, Ray Wilkins, Graham yeah, Sooners, yeah. Trevor Francis. Yeah. So Italy used to be the sexy place in, in Europe. And we all remember you know, Paul Gascoigne going there and James Richardson you know, uh, with, with Football Italia. And that was that was great. And then it became Spain with, with uh, the, the dominance, I think, for a period of... Uh, Real Madrid and the Galactico scheme. And the Premier League has replaced those two countries due to its success. And and you've got to give the Premier League credit. Its success at going to all of those international markets and saying, look, we've got a product. And it's saying to broadcasters, we've got a product is, A, it will bring in uh, subscribers. And B, it will keep those subscribers because it's new content every week. And... That's why the Premier League's broadcast to 190 different countries, and that's why the Premier League is the dominant institution because it was. It, it's 
I mean, the analogy I would use would be a bit like the the UK motorcycle manufacturing market post-war. Yeah, everybody thought, you know, we've got we've got UK companies. I'm not big on motorbikes, but was it like likes of Norton and so on who who were British uh, motorbike manufacturing companies, and they they were successful. They they had a dominance of, of the market, and then you know Honda and Kawasaki came along, and they offered something which was better and cheaper. And the UK, the UK guys said, uh, "They're foreigners. We don't need to worry about them." Well, that's what Spain and Italy did. They 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 were completely blindsided by the Premier League, um, and and they rested on their laurels. And and now they're having to pay catch up, uh, and, and very difficult as well. Do you know what, Kieran? If if somebody was to ask me the most unexpected sentence of the pod so far in the last two years. I think the analogy I would use would be the post-war motorcycle business in Britain would be would be very high up the list. If anyone's doing spread betting on price of football bingo today, they've, yes. they've, they've just lost a lot of money. I mean, you'd expect... Well, there's a, there's a Brighton quinoa analogy coming up, Kieran. That's, that's what you expect. Brighton have now... They've made enough money in the past couple of days, Kieran, to cover the entire beach with quinoa. To get rid of the gravel on that terrible, pebbly Brighton beach, put quinoa down. That'll please the seagulls as well. 115 million quid for Quesito, Kieran. Has the world gone mad? Um, well, the, the world hasn't gone mad because remember we, we, we had the Trevor Francis nostalgia pod. And I'm not putting Moises Caicedo in, in the same bracket uh, as as Trevor Francis well certainly not yet and we said if you if you adjusted for inflation in terms of what we regard as football inflation in terms of the revenues uh, Trevor Francis would have cost somewhere in the region of 250 million based on based on the price rises so 115 million for Caicedo is yes yeah, certainly it's probably more than people expected but it does show that those Arsenal fans who were who were throwing tantrums in January when Brighton said sixty million's not enough yeah. have been proved to eat some eat uh, eat, eat some uh, quinoa pie. Um, <laughs> so a lot the the reaction that we've had over the course of the last two days since the deal has gone through, and that's on top of you know, and I know you're going to talk about uh, Elise and their. They're signing the, the, the kid from Southampton. They've been very, very busy in the market. Um, and, and this is where we, we do enter price of football bingo. It's, it's amortisation time. And for those people unfamiliar with, with the term, I think we sort of need to, take, need to take a step back and say, well, the, the question that is being asked, and there's lots of people having lots of arguments on social media, is how can Chelsea afford to do this? Um well, as far as it's not so much yeah. how can they afford to do it, Kieran. It's how can they afford to do it and stay within FFP regulations? Is what everyone's. Yeah, right. So, so let, let's take a look at as the Caicedo deal, and we'll also take a look at the Mason Mount deal as as two 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 opposite sides of, of the relationship here. Caicedo has signed for a hundred million pounds guaranteed plus fifteen million of add-ons. So, what Chelsea will do is to say, well, we don't know whether the add-ons are going to take place. And, and they are, I think they're, from my understanding, they're quite easy to achieve, but Chelsea have not yet qualified for Europe. And I think uh, it will be an extra 5 million on so many appearances and another 5 million on so many appearances and so on. So they say, right, it's 100 million pounds. He signed an eight-year contract. And traditionally, we are used to footballers signing a four or five-year deal when he joins. And what you do with amortisation is you say, well, let's take the price, the guaranteed price, and then divide that by the number of years in the contract. 100 divided by 8 gives you a £12.5 million cost a year for eight years. So it's that's what Chelsea now have as going into their FFP calculations. Against that, we've got the sale of Mason Mount. If you sell a player who comes from your academy, the profit for FFP purposes is the sales price. That's the book value of the player. Well, a player from the academy, it cost you nothing. So Mount went for yeah, 55, I think it was 55 million guaranteed. So they've got 55 million pounds in the plus column and they've got 12 and a half in the minus column. And that's why Chelsea have gone through this particular strategy. So, so they can actually 
also afford potentially to bid for players X, Y, and Z. And you might be saying, well, well, what about the wages issues? Well, what Chelsea have been quite successful at is uh, Kante has gone. Now, Kante was on one of the highest paid players at Chelsea. So let's say that he was on 300 grand a week. That's gone. The players that they're bringing in we don't know what they're being paid, and there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation. But certainly, the narrative which is coming out of Chelsea, and that sort of filtering through yeah, filters through to me because I talk to journalists, is that the players are not on the same level of wages. They're still, you know, it will still be it'll still be a hundred grand plus a week. So if if Kante goes, you've you saved you saved yourself three hundred grand a week. If you can now buy two players who are costing you three hundred grand a week between you, you see effectively you're getting two for one. So you 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 put all of that through, and then you throw into the mix is that all of the focus is on the player purchases. But Chelsea have made more money over the course of the last you know, five ten years than any other club in the Premier League by a huge amount. You think about Hazard leaving and then when we did have, you know, we've just been talking about Saudi Arabia, but we did have that huge level of interest in English football uh, as a recruitment arm for the Chinese Super League. Well, who went there? Oscar went there and uh, Ramirez went there and both of those went for, for high fees. Chelsea have shifted an awful lot of, of players out of the club um, on a regular basis. Chelsea have made twice as much money in the last decade from player sales as they have from ticket sales, which is, which is ludicrous. Wow. Kieran, the, before I talk about Elise, I want to ask you a little bit more about the Caicedo transfer. In particular, this midnight bid sealed envelope um, process is is that common and have you know a lot of people saying well Brighton or, or Casido have been very clever in playing Liverpool and Chelsea off against each other when it seemed like he was always only ever going to Chelsea but this I'm particularly interested in this way of getting a price the sealed bid thing uh, okay yeah people know I'm, I'm a Brighton fan yeah of course the bright the, the Brighton owner Tony Bloom is a professional poker player. Now, if you now what what you do, what do you, I don't if, if ever you played poker, ultimately it's you trying to face off against somebody in a glorified form of negotiation. If you are up against a professional poker player, you really have to be brilliant at what you do. Bloom is is superb. Paul Barber is superb, and Chelsea made a number of offers, and they just quite they, they said we're not we're not saying enough. Right? That's not that's not enough. Um, they were smart enough to get Caicedo to sign a new contract earlier this year, even though he was hankering after a move. Um, and then it was announced 10 days ago, announced stroked leak. Now, where these leaks come from, I don't know whether that's from Brighton. It's not. It doesn't strike me as being their strategy. Could be from the player's agent. who's And, and remember, the player's agent, his responsibility is to get the best wages, the best deal for his client. So he might have said, well, yeah, we've, we've heard that Liverpool... And, and I'd heard from sources on Merseyside that, that Liverpool were genuinely interested. So it, it didn't come as a huge shock, but you have to take these things to pinch us all. So, so what Brighton did, and I think this was, was a smart move, was to say, you've, you've, you've not matched the price. Um, and it's a bit like if you've got two people who are interested in your house, you say, right, look, instead of faffing around, instead of coming back to us every 24, 48 hours, the season's starting this weekend. We want final offers at midnight Thursday night. And, and Liverpool, by all accounts, bid £111 million. Um, That was accepted by Brighton. But there are three parties to the deal, which is the buying club, the selling club, and the player himself. The players' representatives, and I suspect it is the representatives. I, I don't know Moises Caicedo. I don't, I'm not aware of his education. I'm not aware of his financial literacy. But I would suspect that he has devolved all of that responsibility to his agents. The players' agents said, we think our client's best deal is coming from Chelsea. And they advised their client accordingly. And therefore, Caicedo effectively said, 
I'm I want to go to Chelsea. Right. Um, it looks like Chelsea are also going to be getting Elise from Crystal Palace, my club. And there's a lot of Palace fans saying, well, if Caicedo's worth £115 million, Elise's worth a lot more than the £35 million that he seems to be going for. But the, the debate is amongst Palace fans is that the £35 million was his release clause. But does that mean then, Kieran, if you have a release clause of £35 million, that's the maximum you can ask for a player? Why can you not say, right, the release clause is £35 million, but we think he's worth 70 well, well, you you can say that, and then it comes down to the specific wording in the contract. Right, because okay. if we go back probably about seven or eight years, do you remember that uh, Luis Suarez had a release clause in his contract at Liverpool of I think it was fifty million, and Arsenal well, it could have been forty million, could have been fifty million, and then Arsenal bid fifty million and one pound. And that was the minimum price. And by all accounts, uh, Liverpool then turned around to Arsenal and says, yeah, that's that's the, the price at which we're prepared to talk, but it's not enough. Now, that's, I think, where the contract had been written. And uh, Fenway Sports Group, who own Liverpool, are very, very smart when it comes to the paperwork. So I suspect the way that the contract was worded was perhaps the uh, Suarez's agent thought it, it, it? They had to talk to him, and Liverpool has said no. It's just that's the minimum amount between the two clubs, and we still have to have an acceptable offer. So it could be that in um, Elise's contract, that that's a start point. I.e., Crystal Palace have to have a discussion at thirty-five million with Chelsea. I suspect thirty-five million allows the player to talk to, to Chelsea. And, and that's the downside. You know, the, the paperwork on these things is complex. You know, uh, McAllister went to Liverpool for £35 million. Compared to Caicedo, uh, he's worth a lot more as well. Now, there's been talk about some form of clause in McAllister's contract, which he signed in October, uh, which, which allowed Liverpool to, to effectively get the player at what, what appears to be a bargain price. And, and I would say, yeah, and... I've seen Elise play. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, my my, my gut reaction is, is is his market value. If Mason Mount is worth fifty five to sixty, then he's got to be worth more than than thirty five. Yeah, I hope, Kieran, you're not implying that some of the people who do these deals at Crystal Palace are not as smart as some of the people at Liverpool, because if you are, I shall be forced to uh, agree with you. Um, uh, moving away from uh, transfer values, Kieran. Something we have spoken about right from the very first week of the pod is the infamous loan taken out by the owner of West Brom. And it's rumbling on and there's some slightly disturbing figures uh, coming out this week. Yes. So um, here we are looking at uh, Gauchan Lai. Um, I, I won't do the, the cheap and easy gag that is, is available there with regards to his name. Um, West Bromwich Albion is is complex because of the structure. We've got West Bromwich Albion Football Club Limited. We've got West Bromwich Albion Group Limited. We've got West Bromwich Albion Holdings Limited. There's a West Bromwich Albion Brackets Hong Kong Limited. There's an awful lot of companies knocking around. But there are a few loans which, which are a cause for concern. First of all, um, there's a loan to effectively to Gauchan Lai in his Hong Kong based industry. Um, that was for just under £5 million. That was promised for repayment in mid 22, then by the end of 2022. And his most recent comment was the loan will be repaid early in 2023. It's the 16th of, of August. You know, that's, that's not early. Uh, but I think equally concerning is is a loan which has come from what appears to be a boiler company in the Midlands called Warmfront Holdings. And the loan was for £2 million. And it had a repayment amount. And it appears to be effectively secured on some of the shares of of one of the West Bromwich Albion companies. Um, And by secured, it means that if if there is default, then this... this, uh, this hot water company can uh, acquire shares as a sort of a form of default. But 
Um, the loan was originally due for repayment on the 28th of February 2022. Repayment wasn't made. The loan was then extended to the 31st of May 2022. Not repaid. And there is an interest penalty in the, uh, if you look at the small print of, the, of the, one of the West Brom company's accounts, which says, in the event of non-payment, we're going to move to a punitive interest rate of 5% a month. And from my understanding, and, and I may be wrong, but my understanding, it's you end up paying interest on the interest. So this £2 million loan, which was taken out uh, effectively for repayment in 2022, if you start to compound the interest, and this is where my my relationship with a well-known relative of mine sort of uh, initially <laughs> initially started, five uh, percent interest monthly works out as an annual interest rate of, of around about you know, 75 percent. Um, so I, I calculated by March twenty twenty five, which isn't that far away, that two million pound loan will have turned into £10 million being outstanding, which is just ridiculous. And, and this is why, folks, you know, you know, we're not Martin Lewis. If you owe money on a credit card, for, for heaven's sake, that should always be your first target in, in terms of what you'd be repaying because you end up paying interest on interest. And the, uh, the credit card companies are, are no friend of the consumer, despite how they like to market themselves. So it is it's a it, it, it is a concern. Um West Brom, are they going to be forced to sell players? Uh, if they are, do you have any confidence as to whether the receipts from those player sales will be used to repay these loans? Um, it's uh, it's deep, deeply concerning. Do, do we know, Kieran, I'm going to make the assumption that it, it is the case, this loan coming from the boiler company, is this the same boiler company that's one of the club's main sponsors, do we know? No, it's not. No, uh, I, th- I think that's ideal. Oh, uh, this, is, really? this appears okay. to be a different one. Yeah, because I, I do think that the the West Brom mascot is is one of my favourite. The boiler, yeah, mascots. Boily the boiler or whatever. It is. <laughs> that's right. He's a secondary mascot. I think you'll find. But oh, that's interesting, Kieran, because I just assumed that this would be the case that they they been they're borrowing money from the sponsors. Because I was going to ask you very clever questions about whether or not you're able to borrow money from sponsors. But this is. I mean, it seems a very random place to go to for a loan, Kieran, doesn't it? A, a boiler company. It, it does. Um, looking at the accounts of Warm Prompt Holdings, and as always, companies' accounts, company company's house is our friend here. Um, it, it does seem to be investing in, in a variety of industries, um, uh, and as always, uh, you know, Google can can take you down an interesting set of rabbit warrens as to the people involved with the, the boiler company itself. That's interesting. And and speaking of the repayment, Kieran, you remember, I think it was the third week in January this year, we spoke to uh, uh, somebody from a West Brom fan group. We had a very interesting conversation with him. Um, we jokingly said, well, don't worry, because that very week, Gouch and I had said, the money will be repaid by the end of the week. And and everyone did you know joking when I believe that when I see it things and as you say it's now the sixteenth of August, um, he he owes more money now so it's it's one I, I don't think there's any danger for West Brom fans but again we've had so many instances Kieran of clubs that we 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 talk about almost jokingly at the start and then suddenly the the snowball starts to grow and grow and it it does worry me a little bit that West Brom's the snowball's rolling it seems to me at the very least. It, it, it is, and I think that there are two issues. Is there a danger of the club going into administration? Um, I, it, it, I wouldn't be red flagging it at present, but I'd certainly be having an amber uh, in, in terms of concern because uh, you know, this, this money has to be generated. Now, it, it, yeah, they could sell a couple of players and, and improve their cash flow for all we know. Um, so, so yeah, there has, there has to be a cause for concern because there appears to be a lack, a vacuum uh, in terms of governance at the top of the club. Um, and there have been too many other clubs. Is, is there a danger of West Brom in Albertian, you know, the, the worst happening, the nuclear button happening, the club going out of existence? No, it, it's, it's too big a brand 
uh, you know, and, and again, we've sort of had this discussion when we had somebody from Reading on the show, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I know Ali Jones from, uh, you know, the, the West Brom Albion for Action, and he's very, very passionate, and he, he, he messages me a few times a week. Yeah, you know, we just just keep up to date. Uh, him and Adrian Childs and I have got our own sort of, we're tight uh, in terms of West Brom discussions, but it, it's 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 a cause for concern. But it's not the club at most risk at present, in my view. Mm. Maybe we should get our old friend Adrian Goldberg on to have a chat about uh, what West Brom fans are feeling. Um, the whole of Spanish football, Kieran, has got the hump with PSG. Yes, um, or or rather the head of La Liga. Javier Tebas is, is a man. Uh, he's, if, if we were at school, you and I and Javier Tebas... Every time we'd bunked off to go and see a gig in the 1970s, Kevin, he would have reported us to teacher. <laughs> you know, so oh, they're doing it again. I've seen they've got tickets for the clash. He's, so um, for reasons best known to himself, because Spanish football does have some domestic challenges, uh, La Liga has reported Paris Saint-Germain um, in respect of, and I quote, foreign subsidies to sign top coaches and players. Now, if it had been Harry Redknapp, it would have been top, top coaches and players. <laughs> but even so, um, it's, it's a strange phrase to use. And then they're going and saying uh, the the approach taken by the Qatari uh, QSI, the, the Qatari Sports Institute, uh, in terms of its ownership of Paris Saint-Germain, um, and I quote, seriously damages the sports ecosystem, i.e. they're still seeing their arse about Neymar and Messi leaving Spain to go and play in Paris. Uh, and they are claiming that it's uh, it's anti-competitive. And then you say, well, well let, let's, let's just row back on this because Real Madrid have just signed Jude Bellingham for... You know, 118 million euro. You've got uh, Dembele, Coutinho, Griezmann, all being signed by Barcelona for more than 100 million over three or four years ago. So when it's when it's Spanish clubs signing players on big fees, they seem perfectly okay. And again, it's 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 a bit of sulkiness with regards to, uh, and this is on the back of Mbappe doing yet another U-turn in terms of where he sees his future. And, and now, oh, big misunderstanding. I'm going to play. I'm going to spend another year uh, in in Paris uh, and, you know, just, just wires crossed or something along those lines. And Real Madrid, who thought that Mbappe was definitely going to come to them either this summer or next summer, um, they're, they're not so certain. So all on the back of that, we've got uh, La Liga effectively being the cheerleaders uh, for Real Madrid and saying... Why? Why on earth would would somebody want to live in? Yeah, why would a, why would a French person want to live in Paris? Yeah, you, know, you could come into Madrid. Yeah, you know, you know, imagine you know Parisian culture and art. Yeah, you know, all of these things are absolutely awful. He, he should, he, he's making. He must. Be, he's he's a hostage, you know, and that appears to be the implication. Uh, and, and I'm just going. It, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, get get your own house in order first. Uh, I don't remember bunking off school for gigs, Kieran, so much because most gigs were in the evening. And, and as I didn't go to a posh boarding school, I'm not implying you did, Kieran, but I did uh, <laughs> I, I, I did bunk off along with about eight other uh, kids who were Palace fans at our school to go and see a rearranged FA Cup game at Tootin the Mitchum, uh, which was played on the Tuesday afternoon for some reason. I think the police said the Tootin the Mitchum's floodlights weren't strong enough to pick out the... Uh, inevitable hooligan activity that would take place <laughs> and when I say bunk off um, we actually just knocked on headmaster's door and said we've got tickets for this rearranged FA Cup game has it got a problem with that and he went nah fine yeah, particularly, <laughs> I think I think the phrase he used was you won't be missed um, Staying in Spain, Kieran, I, I'm going to give you some words here and I'd like you to put them in the correct order. Uh, another loan payday Barcelona. <laughs> yes. Um, economic levers. 
<laughs> a, 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 a phrase which did not exist in the world of finance. And no. I've been I've been in the world of finance for a few decades. Um, yeah, economic news. Uh, Barcelona have a uh, a new arrangement to to liberate twenty nine point five percent of uh, Bar- Barca Vision, which is, is the that- clubs. And I quote: I, I quote. Uh, I'll break that. The club's initiative to integrate all digital content around Web3 and blockchain, including NFTs and Metaverse, which are part of the club's strategy to build the digital S by Barca. Yeah, you had me at blockchain. (laughs) Yes. Um, So what what is the issue with Barcelona? Um, I've just been critical of La Liga, but one thing which La Liga are, are very good at is actually having some form of domestic cost control. And I will get. I will try to get somebody from La Liga um, onto the show to explain it because I was on a I was on a panel with great, Nick yeah. DeMarco uh, a few months ago, and I met somebody from La Liga, and he was he was very very impressive. So I just need to try and dig out his number. Um, and the way that it effectively works is that you you look at the amount of money that's coming into the club, you subtract the amount of money that you have to pay based on your budget for for general overheads football transfers, loan repayments, and so on. And whatever's left over, you're allowed to spend on wages. So, so that there, there is sort of, there is a strategy there. And Barcelona have, you know, Barcelona, they've only got about 12 players officially registered for this season. They've signed players, uh, yeah, the likes of Gundogan. Gundogan, I don't think, is registered to play for Barcelona as yet, even though he's, he's effectively signed on a free transfer. So, yeah, potentially he could leave. Um, if if he's unable to play football, so it, it it is very messy. So one of the ways you can do this, if you think about it, it's it's the money coming into the club, less your your committed payments. Well, if you can increase the money coming into the club through selling part of the club's digital metaverse blockchain, whatever it is, um, that will allow Barcelona to to recruit players. A in terms of being able to pay wages and B to to, in, to generate some some funds. And it looks as if this figure is, is 120 million euro. It's from two companies called Libero and Nipa Capital. I think one of them's one of them's based in Frankfurt Market and one of them's based in the Netherlands. It all looks very complicated and messy and. Some of this appears to be linked to a to a previous deal to sell part of this company. So yeah, it's 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 a mess. They haven't got many tiles left on the wall to sell, Karen, have they? To be <laughs> perfectly right. honest, um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not entirely sure I, I even understand this next bit of Barcelona news. But so you, they can sell bits of it, but it seems they can also list separate bits of it on the New York Stock Exchange as they've done with something this week. Yes, yes, uh, but this this is Barca Media oh. as opposed to Barca Vision. Ah, what was I thinking? Uh, yes, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, um, and yeah, again, we're going to go into acronym and nerd territory central here. Um, they are trying to create a a company which is going to be traded in New York and and Manchester United are traded in New York, and the reason for that is there is a perception that American investors are a bit more willing to embrace uh, different companies. Manchester United tries to sell itself as an entertainment company in the USA, as a tech company, as opposed to a football club, isn't it, as far as we're concerned. Um, And Barca Barca Media, they they brought out something with an organisation called Mountain, which is a SPAC, which stands for special purpose acquisitive company and the SPAC it, it works like this you've got some very very rich people with loads of dosh and they don't know what to do with it now you and I we could probably help them there Kevin mm-hmm. but for some reason they'd rather go to these these professionals um and they and this this company says give us all of your money and what we will do is we will either invest it in a company over the course of the next 12 months to 18 months, or you get your money back. So this company, Mountain, appears to uh, say, we're going to to take on Barca's media rights. And it's put forward a very, very glossy brochure. And uh, there's a there's a welcome video that I've watched from the president of Barcelona. And it, and it all looks very slick. And, and I sort of, yeah, I'm a nerd. I, I, I read every single page. And I thought, this all sounds very good, 
But the one thing that appears to be missing is some numbers. Now, as an investor, you know, one of the things you are looking for, you know, do we have any projected figures and so on? So it it, it all looks, uh, to me, it looks like a house of cards. It's and style over substance, but you know, I I I, I probably would have said the same about Facebook and, and Instagram, fifteen or fifteen or ten years ago, because I'm you know, sort of, I'm an old school type of person, uh, you know, and and uh, it, it could be worth it could be worth billions uh, in a few years, or it could become the new MySpace. Who knows? Yeah. So what you're saying, Kieran, is that uh, our listeners should exercise care before buying shares in Barcelona's content creation unit. I think that would be wise. Let the buyer beware. Yeah, um, if, if you have previously taken an investment advice from Paris Hilton, John Terry <laughs> and Michael Owen, this could be for you. Um, the San Siro, Kieran, has been saved from demolition by a slightly unusual source. Yes, the, uh, the, the Lombardo authorities have decreed that the San Siro is culturally significant and therefore must be preserved. Now, it was built in the 1920s. Uh, again, you know, we, we remember uh, Italian 90, and it had been effectively be, it had a major upgrade there. But we, we are living in 2023. There is an expectation, especially from corporate and corporate customers, of a, uh, a level of service, and it's difficult to do that in, in, an, in an old building, which effectively are yeah, the equivalent of a grade two listed building. So therefore... You can only do a few things, uh, and, and you can't you can't change. So it's it's a magnificent piece of architecture. There's no doubt about that. Um, so as a result of it being culturally significant, I think this is this this is the sad thing. Where does it leave the two tenants? Um, it looks like we're going to have two new stadiums uh, now in the city uh, for both AC and, and Internazionale, uh, which both of which will probably be capable of. Uh, hosting 60 to 65,000 people, which appears to be sort of the going rate for a big city these days, um, where that will therefore leave the San Siro. Uh, yes, it won't be demolished, but who's going to maintain it? Um, yeah, and I know I've said this before on the show. I, I remember going to uh, Cape Town probably about four or five years ago with, with the Baroness. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I, I was here uh, I was here for the World Cup in, what was it, 2010? And I just saw some magnific- magnificent stadium, you know, good, good memories. Uh, it was a really good World Cup to go to as a fan. And it's just an overgrown monstrosity these days and it's effectively left to go to rack and ruin. So certainly my familiarity with, uh, with Milan um, and... Uh, I, I have a relative who used to run a bank from Milan and Italian culture is that it won't necessarily get the level of TLC that you would hope it get. And, and, and you know, what could happen to it? It, 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 it might not be demolished, but it, it might start to, to decay. Yeah, because historically, of course, Kieran, the top Italian clubs haven't been able to exploit their stadium uh, or indeed the fans that go in it, because they, most of them don't own their stadium, do they? They tend to be owned by the municipality or the town itself. They, they do, um, and that that is good in a way, in the sense that you know, one of the things that we have spoken about since the start of this show is separation of football club from football stadium when it comes to individual owners can be a cause for concern because the owners will at times not have the same moral and ethical compass in terms of preserving and protecting the football club as a, as a piece of local culture and history and heritage and so on, all the things which which mean a lot to us as, as legacy fans, um, because they just see it as a piece of yeah, a piece of land which could be redeveloped for flats. So at least you've got the protection there of the municipalities. But um if anybody is familiar with uh it, it, Italian uh macroeconomic finances uh, at, at both a federal and state and city level, they will know that the vast majority of, of the, the individual cities are bust uh, in, in effect. And therefore, uh, that's why there's not been a lack of investment in the stadiums. Yeah, I'm just going to Google Italian macroeconomics. Um, 
And in the meantime, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. We've now added a new benefit for our £5 a month subscribers. We've set up a Discord channel and we were doing live chats on there once a month. We'll bring you the date of the first one. It will be this month. Uh, next week if you have a question you'd like answered on the show email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and finally if you'd like to pre-order our new book unfit and improper persons or one of our other books get us you can get yourself a price of football t-shirt as well you can go to our new look website at priceoffootball.com producer guy's been busy over the summer isn't he that's that website's priceoffootball.com um our next pod will be on monday and it's our regular questions pod in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran Maguire for his customary farewell well, thanks as always, folks, uh, and so for the Patreon supporters, we, we are very grateful, and that's why we're going to try to set up this uh, new line. We, we hope to have some other announcements with regards to uh, the price of football, uh, in a case of giving more opportunities to meet face-to-face. We're saying no more than that, uh, but we're, we're in talks with a few venues at present. Um, there's another way, however, you can support the show, and that's to give us a review using using your app. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you say. It's the important thing that it helps reviews help the algorithms and help us in the charts and help us with credibility. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Tony Soprano and Gauchan Lai. And I think <laughs> that could be an interesting business discussion. I think even producer Guy would struggle to get those two in the same room, wouldn't he? <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, yes. I, I think... Well, Adrian Goldberg and Adrian Charles might want a word with Mr. Light before we get a chance to talk to him. Oh, that would be a cheery conversation, wouldn't it? Uh, I want it to be hosted by Roy Hodgson and that uh, startled Sheffield United player on Saturday. Yeah, there's life in the old yeah, there, isn't it? I, I just would love to have been, I'd given anything to have been training Sheffield United on Monday, the stick he was going to get for being <laughs> yes. beaten up by Roy Hodgson. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. The price of football.